Welcome to the Interviews Podcast. Welcome to episode four of the Interviews podcast. We are here after a 2-0 victory for Inter over Lecce at the Giuseppe Meazza. I am Alessandro Raffa, one half of your hosting duo, joined today by the CEO of Inter Twitter, Johnny Perturner. Johnny, how's it going? You know, I don't even, I, I'm not even excited about a 2-0 win. Oh, no. I'm not. Oh no! I, I don't even care about the outcome. I don't even care that the two goals were beautifully struck by Mkhitaryan and Lautaro. Mm. We, we we don't even have to start where I want to start. You can take it wherever you want, and then I would just like some brief time to address one player. Yeah, yeah. We've we've got to talk about it. Um, it's just becoming. It's becoming. Um, an issue and something that is of debate on Inter Twitter. So that's all stuff that we'll get into today. I think the major storyline um, to come out of this this victory is that we solidified um, our second place spot, which obviously when you look at the results from the weekend, um, this was a bigger game than some people might uh, initially think. Uh, when you see Interlecha at home, you know, that should be a pretty easy victory. But given our place in the standings, given that the number of teams that are involved in top four, um, the top four race this season, and given what we've seen from Milan, um, from Napoli, and the others this weekend, this game became a must win, especially when you factor in, uh, you know, recent performances and, and what we were or weren't able to do. Um, in recent games. So we walk away with the 2-0 win. Um, why don't we start with just the, the overall performance of the team? Um, for me, this was not the most entertaining game in the world. You know, like there's games where you can't take your eyes off the screen and there's games where you spend a little bit more time uh, seeing what people are saying on Twitter. This had that kind of feel for me. Not as fluid of a game um, as you'll ever see, which, you know, sometimes you come to expect this when you play sort of the mid-table, lower-table teams. Um, but what did you think of, of the performance overall? Yeah, I thought it was very cut and dry. Nothing, like you said, uh, exciting. Nothing uh, to really take away from this and be like, ooh, I'm excited for our next next match. I, I didn't really care about it, honestly. Like, like you said, I was more interested in what people were saying on Twitter. Um, and seeing how people, I mean, were either agreeing or disagreeing with, with the player I want to talk about. And yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing to write home about, nothing where I was like worried that they were going to equalize or even come back to, to make it, you know, somewhat of an interesting game at the end there. They didn't really have much going forward to Leche. Uh, I also, I mean, it was kind of boring to watch, even from their kit standpoint. Like, those kits were an eyesore, man. Like, the Leche were rocking. It, it, I thought they were yeah. sponsored by Ronald McDonald when I, when I was looking <laughs> at those. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, no fuss, really, with this one. 
Yeah, especially when you sort of compound Lech's kits with what we chose to wear today. I think, you know, if we had given the black and blue um, <clears throat> a wear today, it would have looked a little bit better. But yeah, it wasn't the most um, appealing, I guess, color clash. And then especially when you look at the state that the pitch is in right now, um, it, it looks like a really ugly Serie game. Not the best advertisement for um, the league, especially on a day where... Um, the supposed best league in the world is seeing two of their top teams playing a match where one team loses 7 nothing. So not going to get into that, but in terms of the team performance, so there were only really two fluid, very fluid movements for Inter, um, and it came on the two goals on the two chances, right? So let's just talk really quickly about that first goal. Um, it started with, it was basically a combination between four players, um, a couple players flashing their brilliance. So the first is the touch from Lautaro to set off Gosens into space with the side of his foot, just lays it off for Gosens in a perfect position for him to just explode down the left flank. He was kind of even more central, really close to the box, um, and just exploded into the box. The next action is he lays it off to Barella, who by the time he receives the ball, it would either be a one-touch shot, which given where the Delecha defenders were, was likely to be a blocked opportunity. Um, Barella shows his, his brilliance to cut it back and spot an on-rushing Mikitarian who hit an absolute dart into the top corner of the net. A really, really fluid move, something that we talk about when we talk about Limone Ball. Um, and I was really happy to see that from the team because up until that point, really lacking in fluidity so happy to score um a goal uh you know in that in that manner in that fashion yeah the pitch was was abysmal like you said um you know i was talking about it with somebody earlier because i i watched the spezia game this morning and i was admiring just how brilliant their pitch was and you know this person said like oh well they don't have to play three four games a week okay fair that's true yeah that's easy to maintain however why is it teams in England, France, Germany, Spain, they're able to maintain their pitch and have it looking pristine, um, while us, who I understand we share the, the stadium with, with Milan, um, but I feel like then you have two people who are able to afford <laughs> maintaining it and having a ground screw that can actually keep it up to the standards that, that you would expect. And it's, it's disappointing, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make excuses and, and stuff but it, i expect more you know obviously from the club with when it comes to player evaluation and transfers i expect more you know from what they're able to provide in terms of atmosphere and you know a pitch for the players you know what if this continues what what if somebody tears an acl there you know like it's something yeah. that it, it, that it can start to become a serious concern uh, you know we saw what what pitches did to ronaldo um r9 when he was at inter or as julian likes to call him rolando rolando um, so it's I, I it's not something you know I, I we need to figure this out and before before something bad happens and like like Nemo was saying last week you know we need to to have a new stadium figured out before before someone dies at the stadium it's it's kind of the same thing with the the pitch for our players yeah um you know we definitely don't want the pitch to ever be something that is of discussion um especially when you're considering that we're you know, a multi-time Champions League winner playing at, on a pitch that, you know, doesn't look like it's fit to host a Europa League conference 
uh, Europa Conference uh, group group league game. Um, you know, especially considering that, you know, if we're able to get past Porto, we're going to be one of eight teams left in Europe, and one of those ties is going to take place on that field. So that that in and of itself is a is a pretty scary thought. Um, but you know, sort of moving forward back to the players that were on the pitch, I just want to touch on a few observations um, from the first half, right? So we talked about that lack of fluidity. My sense is that it's, you know, I wrote this down. It's not a pitch issue for me. What I feel like when Inter plays these, you know, lower, mid to lower table teams is we almost need a goal scored on us in order for us to, uh, play with the intensity that is required, um, you know, to be a, a, a title challenging team, right? It just looks like we come out of the blocks a little bit slow, you know, not not passionate or not enthusiastic about like, okay, Inter showed up to play today. Like they, they want to get this win. It's just everything comes out of the blocks a little bit slow and it really takes time for us to get things going as opposed to in contrast, like, you know, that first half that we played against Milan um, in the derby, you know, just completely blew them out. Um, you know, if you look at the talent uh, disparity between Alecha and Milan, you would expect us to have some problems, but it just, it's got to be the mentality, right? Yeah, I'm convinced that there's just, you know, they, they turn off a switch when they play against these lower tier teams. Um, it, it feels like they... Yeah, it takes them like 20, 25 minutes to really get going in the game. You saw Mkhitaryan misplaying passes, Dzeko's poor touches, you know, a right wing back who who can't even dribble past the man. He can't even dribble into open space. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if they only get amped up or if they feel like they like they have to save their energy for, for the big games and the games that, you know, could be matter or matter later on, but it's like, if you take every game with the same level of intensity and the same level of drive and passion, the points will come. You'll be able to eke out wins. And that's like what we saw. You know, there was a huge discrepancy between the Conte teams and, and Inzaghi is, you know, even um, when when games weren't looking good against those those lower tier teams. And you could tell see the visible frustration on Conte's face and he's yelling at players and, and command throwing out commands and stuff. But they were able to eke out wins. You don't get that with with Inzaghi. If you if we're playing poorly, we we feel okay. It, at best, it ends nil nil, or you know you could kind of sense the goal coming if it's building up a little bit there. And and I I, would, I don't know if it's a mentality thing that that they need to bring in some type of mental coach to be able to to sit with them and keep them you know up go, going uh, for the entire course of the season, or if it's something Inzaghi is like he's just too friendly or too too much of a likable guy or nice guy to these players that they think that they can get away with this. And you know, with with Conte, when you would you see players who were underperforming, he had no problem pulling you out 35 minutes right before halftime, right at the start of halftime. Inzaghi gives these guys a chance to to grow into it, and it's like if you need a half to grow into a game, I don't know if you're the kind of player I want on the pitch representing my club. To be honest, like that's. The, it shouldn't take that for you to 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 want to to perform and help your team perform, and it's 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 very frustrating. I'm glad we got the three points, and it was a, an easy two 0 win. But at the same time, it could have easily gone the other way if if we weren't, you know, if we didn't have those two moments of brilliance that that led to the goals. 
Yeah, it it has to be, you know, obviously we walk away with the three points. It is a, a big victory for us, but it has to be, this discussion needs to be had just based off of what we're seeing on the pitch. And to your point, if you look at a Manchester City, a Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, any team that Conte manages, the the teams on the pitch are all a reflection of the manager. You can you can feel the manager in the way that those teams play, whether it's Conte or Simeone in terms of you know this sort of smash mouth, f- uh, high intensity football, whether it's Klopp with the Gengen press and you know the uh, the aggressivity. You feel the manager's influence um, with the team on the pitch, and it does it does not bode well for. Inzaghi's, um, you know, potential career ambitions to be managing top sides when so often we see that they just don't come flying out of the blocks. Or if it, you know, if the team really is just a representation of um, the manager's personality, then, you know, our manager's personality is sort of a everything's going to be okay. Like, you know, we'll grow into it. Don't worry about it. Like, let's figure stuff out. Um, you know, and then see what we can do later in the match. I think also you can see that reflected in his starting lineups as well, right? Like this almost felt like, <clears throat> sorry, this almost felt like a Jeko and Mikitarian getting the start over Brozovic and Lukaku because you don't want to play those players unless you need to bring them on to, you know, to win you the game, right? And it's sort of, you know, are they injured or are they not? Right? Are we resting them or are we trying to get them minutes? Um, are you choosing Jekyll and Mikitarian because they, you know, are performing better in practice? It's sort of when you consistently put out lineups that don't include the best eleven players on your team in terms of talent, in terms of you know um, status, it, it does call into question like what is going on here. Right, like what? What's the reason we're not seeing Brozovic and Lukaku from the first minute? What What did you think about um, ultimately the selection that Inzaghi went with to start this match? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like. I, I didn't have a problem with Jeko. I didn't like starting Mkhitaryan because we saw the last two games he was very poor. Um, you know, with the team performed a little bit better once Brozovic came on. And it's like, why is he still like a little hurt that you're worried about risking him? Like, obviously, we don't. There's such a lack of communication from the club to its fans that we don't really know what's what's going on. If that's what they're doing, they're trying to preserve him and allow him to ease into it. Although they did give him a start, so it's like I'm I'm confused by it. But fortunately, Mkhitaryan did finally you know grow into the game. He scored that wonderful goal. I mean, brilliantly. Most most players you would see lean back in that situation and they would sky it over the net. He put it perfectly in the top corner, no keeper saving that in a million years. Um, so yeah, I mean, hats off to him to, to perform there. Jekko, uh, you know, Sharma tweeted it out and it was like, he was retweeting himself, but we're starting to see the Jekko we saw in the second half of last season already coming out now. You know, he, he does seem slow. He seems slow with his touch. He seems slow with his thought process. His, his passing hasn't been as crisp as it normally is. Um, and it feels like he's just he's showing his age and, and I don't blame him I'm not mad at him I, I don't I don't fault him for this you know he's gonna be 37 I believe next week it's like what, what do you expect from him he shouldn't be playing more than 25 30 minutes a game and you're throwing him out there you know as if he's got the legs of an 18 year old yeah um, so I you know especially if you want Lukaku to build on his confidence I feel like this is a game that would have been perfect for him to start 
but again, you know, I mean, we're, we're not, we're not, we don't, we're not there in training. We're not seeing what Inzaghi may be seeing or not seeing, or he's just going off of, you know, vibes. I, I don't know. Like it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of confusing. So I couldn't agree more. And you know, especially on the Lukaku front, like if it's, it, it makes sense if it's physical that you would only want to get him, you know, 25, 30 minutes. If it's a mental thing, right, where he's just mentally not perf- like it, his mental is what's holding him back from performing. You, it, for a striker, you need to score goals. The way you're gonna get him, you know, uh, to punch it in the back of the net is to give him seventy minutes to be able to take, you know, the chances that come his way and to be able to put it away. So. Yeah, I would have liked to see Lukaku Brozovic from the start, and I think that dovetails perfectly into, let's talk about a few player performances. Um, Defensively, you know, I I don't think there's a ton to say about what we saw. Onana, I'm not even sure, made a save or he made one save. Um, You know, Acerbi, Bastoni, and Darmian, I would say that their influence in the game was fairly minimal just given where the game was taking place which was entirely in the opposition half in Lecce's half and it really was a game of wing backs midfielders and forwards so I don't have much to say about the defense um you know unless you do I think we can move on to um we can move on to the the flying Dutchman or at least what we hope he would be is the flying Dutchman so um Denzel's final line I'm going to kick this over to you but you know before I do that I want to touch on some specific stats um so Dumfries got the start today in the right wing back position he touched the ball 62 times of the 62 times he touched the ball he lost possession 21 times a third of the time that he was on the ball he gave it away to the other team for me if you look at the players on the pitch like Hakan, Barella, Lautaro, like real difference difference makers and quality players, he is not at the level to be able to take advantage of working with a team that has those world-class players, right? And part of the reason Darmian's been so effective is that he's been able to to use those players and he's been able to not make mistakes off of what they provide him with. And it seems like Dumfries can be put in positions where you have the chance to be a difference maker, right? These breakaways, similar to what we saw against Roma last year, where he got a breakaway, confidently showed up the field and finished it. And this year, the regression has been shocking, just absolutely shocking. Uh, Alessandro, you're going to have to give me a couple minutes here. Because I need to address Huyan right now. And I am sick and tired of his blind defense of this bum of a player. Denzel Dumfries isn't good enough to play in my Sunday men's league. He can't run in a straight line. He can't dribble. You know, during the game, I'm not even kidding you. I have it pulled up right now. I googled synonyms for abysmal. Here's what I found. Dreadful, awful, atrocious, disgraceful, deplorable, shameful, hopeless, 
laughable. And I don't even think any of those words describe my thoughts on what I saw from Denzel Dumfries in that first half. It was the most disgusting display of footballing lack of ability that I've ever seen in my life. This guy, we've had guys like Douglas Maicon, Javier Zanetti before he got moved up the pitch, Joao Cancelo, Hakimi. I mean, we've had players who are class in their position play for this club and to go to Denzel Dumfries, who doesn't deserve to ever set foot on a pitch again, is such a drop off in talent. I've, I can't take it anymore. This guy should be bagging my groceries at, at Trader Joe's and giving wearing a Hawaiian shirt and never, ever touching a football again. It is disgusting. That assist, Huyan tried ramming it down my throat, that assist. Huyan, the reason Inzaghi was clapping at that assist is because even he was shocked and amazed that he got that pass off and it actually found a player wearing the same kit as him. You cannot tell me this guy is any good and I... I if he gets sold for anything more than 15 million euros this summer, Marota deserves a statue built in his honor that's 200 feet high and it could be 600 feet wide. It'll be the most disproportionate statue ever built. But that's how much this guy should be worshipped if he's able to get anything of value for this player. It is, It, it just drives me insane. It, he, he must have dirt on Marota and Inzaghi to still be seeing the pitch. It has to be. And everyone's like, oh, look at, him, look at, look at Lautaro giving, you know, giving him a pat on the back and addressing the crowds to get off him. Brother, we were booing poor Raul Belanova, who's a kid, for making a few mistakes. This guy does it week in and week out. He deserves every boo that goes his way. I would be throwing his kit, lighting it on fire, doing everything to let him know how hated he is by me just to get him out of here. My first two notes from watching the game, um, Alessandro, I sent you the picture. I'll even post it on the Interviews Pod Twitter account. First note, where Lecce kit are hideous. Second note, Dumfries first pass, trash. Second Dumfries pass, trash. So why is this guy seeing time on the pitch? I I'll never understand. And I, will con I could keep going for another 20 minutes on this guy, but I'll stop right now. Uh, listen, I the frustration, it's... It's reasonable, right? It's reasonable. It's it's how can we go from, you know, one of the more outstanding players at the World Cup, a player who, you know, in reports around the transfer, the conversation was around 40 to 50 million euros in terms of a transfer fee. How did we go <laughs> Four, from 40? You just said 40 to 50 million. If we got four to five million, I would celebrate it. This 40 to if Todd Bawley spent that much money, man, I, I would fly to London just to shake his hand for being an idiot. This guy should never... He, we'll never sell him. I'm convinced. I'm, this is... He's so bad. It, it actually, like, it is a problem that that um, he's playing at this level and he's just completely cratering his value. You know, when, you, when you're a club that... You know, summer after summer, you have to hit a certain target in terms of the money coming into the club. Like, you know, you, you can look at players who in a position such as right wing back where we can sort of always dip into the market and find the next up and coming guy. You know, we like Hakim. I think the plan like Hakimi, then Dumfries, then Bellanova, like just constantly, you know, getting the next big thing for him to have completely cratered his value 
you're going to be forced to sell from another a, a position of strength. Like it actually is a it is a big problem that he's playing so so poorly. Um, and, and you know, just to touch on a couple things, as far as if you go on Sofa Score right now, you'll see his final score for the game is is a seven. That's the thing with these sort of scoring algorithms or, you know, taking just statistics and not exactly taking it from from exactly what you saw on the pitch. The the assist, I tweeted this out, was Barella. Barella getting him into all of that space where it was impossible. All he had to do was side footed across to an open Lautaro. It was impossible for him to mess that up. You can't lean on that one pass and say, you know, he had a great game. There were a few things in the first half that really stood out to me about his game. There's the possession lost, just constantly turning the ball over. There is the breakaway where he just, again, makes the wrong decision, not able to get the ball to anybody in the box. Um, And then there were two things that these are sort of the nail in the coffin for players. You're getting booed by the entirety of the stadium. At one point in time, he's getting booed by the entirety of the stadium you know, I'm happy that he came out in the second half and look in second half and looked a little better. But then also there were you know moments where Hakan was getting visibly frustrated with him. You know, and it, it sort of affects the way that Hakan looks in the game. Like part of his his game is to be able to utilize the outlets of the flanks, and when he can't play you the ball and you be able to possess and you know either take your man on or or play it right back you just continuously lose it I understand Hakan's frustration and it's different than when you see Barella throw his hands up like it's just like a sort of drop of the head a shaking of the head you know there were times where Dumfries was holding on to the ball for a throw in too long and Hakan's begging for it and again you just see like the disappointment it's again I like I said it earlier when you have players like Barella like Lautaro, you know, Ferraris on the field in terms of their their ability. And then you're surrounding those players with Dumfries. It's a real it's a real problem. Um I don't know who the blame goes on. There were stretches last year where Dumfries looked, you know, serviceable. Um if not to be a very good right back. We've seen it, you know, with the national team. But his regression is just, you know, like I said earlier, it's startling. Um, it's problematic. I, you know, I don't know how you recoup his value at this point without putting the team in jeopardy. Darmian is the obvious starting option at this point in a big game. We need Skriniar to come back because minutes are open for Dumfries right now. He's not taking advantage of it. He's He's a negative to the team. Um, you know, and I don't want to spend 40 minutes of a, of a post-match reaction, just killing a player, especially after we won two nothing, but I have, I, no, do- I have no problem doing it. <laughs> there's no, we, we, there's really nothing like, honestly, that we look at this game, there's really nothing else to really talk about. And now I, I don't go by sofa score. I never look at sofa score. I just pulled it up. Cause when you said he got a seven, I said, he's gotta be, he's gotta be trolling. How, what on earth did Denzel Dumfries do to get a seven? You're going to tell me Acerbi got a 7.9 and Lautaro, who scored a gorgeous goal, gets a 7.6. This is why I never go off of these sofa score ratings. And I think it's the biggest joke in, in, in football is when you see the, the people post. Like when I see, you know, Inter fans post a screenshot. And I know, I guarantee you, Huyan is going to be the guy who posts a Denzel Dumfries 7.0 picture to try to prove a point. 
I, these guys, I don't know who's, I don't know if anyone's actually watching the game. I don't know if they're just like tracking data. I don't know what they're doing to get these scorings, but it is ridiculous to think that Robin Gozins, who I thought played a pretty damn good game, aside from yeah. the two, a, a couple crosses that I thought were like, this, like, what are you doing with them? And where he shot him like, you know, over everybody's head to get a 6.6. But Dumfries gets a seven. What, what, what were they watching? You just said he had he turned the ball over a third of the time, and that's a that still gets you a seven. It's yeah. These companies turn, need to go out of business. Turn the ball over a third of the time. Only connected on one of his four crosses. Um, only had one successful dribble attempt out of three. Uh, had eight ground duels. He only won of three of them. So he's winning like less than half of his ground duels. You know, and lost possession twenty one times. Had one tackle, was dribbled past once. I mean, what? <laughs> if you're looking at the at the statistics, or if you're watching the game, nothing about it is is um, giving you any sort of confidence. The the <clears throat> right back position is, I I think it's a big story heading into the summer because it's either we're gonna give this kid another season at the club. We're going to sell him for way, way under value, um, you know, or we have to, uh, I, I, I don't even know. I, I, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm frazzled well, he just, has, he just has thinking no value. about it. Like, I, I don't even consider it selling under value. If, you, if we break even, that's, that's amazing. This guy is so, so bad. It, like, we're, we're stuck with Dalbert. We're not going to make money on Dalbert. Uh, Lazaro gets hurt. We're probably not going to get anything close to what. Well, we're definitely not getting anything close to what we spend on him. So if we could just break, this is where we're at with the club. If we could just break even with this guy, that's how bad he is. Yeah. I will be impressed. Like we were talking about, 40, like you said, 40, 50 million. There was r- rumors that Inter were going to hold out for 60 million. Yeah, bro, like, bro. In what world? In what world is this player worth 60 million? This guy couldn't. He couldn't raise 60 million if he had 59 million in his pants. Like, there's no <laughs> way he could raise 60 million, bro. It's. I'm disgusted that if we, oh, he should not be on this club next summer or next year. And if he is, top. I'll be surprised if we get top four because that means either a player like Brozovic is sold. You know, people are talking about Onana being sold because you know we can. He, he would be. All capital gains, right? A- any goalie we f- we f- we buy to replace him is going to be a downgrade. And we were complaining last year at how goalkeeping cost us the scudetto. You know, you you could say a, a few moments with with Handanovic, not just the Radu incident, but if Onana is sold, anybody you bring in, whether it's a guy like Silvestri, who I think is a bum, a guy like you know. Um, Vicario, who uh, yes, he's having a fantastic year. I liked him even last year. I thought he was very good. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a uh, Nima did a thing where it was like, who, who, if you had to make a starting eleven of players from the bottom, bottom half of the table, right. who would be your players? Vicario was the guy I wanted to be goalie for that team because I thought he was. I think he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. However, I don't think he's inter level, and I don't even think he's ready to make that leap. You know, maybe you can go to a Fiorentina or a team like Roma. No offense to them. But he's, you know, I mean, they definitely need a goalkeeper too. So he would be an upgrade for them. Whereas for us, anybody would be a downgrade. So yeah. it's like, and, and I don't trust this club to reinvest. Let's say we get, I would say maybe 30, 35 million for Onana. We would not invest 20 to 25 million of that into a new goalkeeper. So anybody else that we bring in is going to be a massive downgrade where it's going to cost us potentially top four because we're going to see Napoli is going to continue to spend money and get better. Roma is going to continue to spend money and get better. 
Lazio, I mean, they're having a season that nobody really predicted. They might even continue to spend money and get better themselves because they see if they get to Champions League, they can spend more of that money themselves. So it's like if we continue to stay at the same level and stagnant, everyone's going to pass us at some point. So yeah. I just don't understand what, what the mindset is here. I mean, they say we only have to rate or finish the summer or sorry, by the end of June, be have a plus Valenza or not maybe not plus Valenza, but, you know, a, a net profit Capital of 30 game. million yeah. euros. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it, yeah, I don't and see how all, we get it, there without selling a key player. Yeah. And it, it again, it all comes back to. Um, not selling Dumfries at the height of his value, which definitely mirrors what happened with Skriniar as well and not taking the 65 when we had the chance, right? It's sort of we're holding out for more money, which, you know, on one hand, I understand when you see some of the fees being thrown out there, like, you know, hold out for as much as you can. But on the other hand, look how it worked out. You know, Milan is is leaving on a free and Dumfries has completely cratered his value. So it just, you know, it's something that I, I hope they learn from in the future, and I hope it doesn't lead to a big sale for one of our key players. Okay, because I'm sure that the people listening to this pod after, you know, a, an important win don't want to, um, you know, have to listen to as horrible a situation as we're in with Don't Freeze and, you know, moving forward. Um, we do want to touch on, you know, some other things in the game. So one of the other key um, storylines for me at least was the decisions that Inzaghi took on his substitutions had you know did not affect the game in a negative way and I I don't even um, I'm not coming at this from a negative perspective I just want to get your sense for a couple decisions that he took right so I tweeted um, like around the 65th minute that you know it's two nothing right now you're at home Lecce hasn't shown any real threat, right? It feels like you're fully in control of the game. I tweeted that I'd like to see Aslani and Bellanova. There's been a lot of conversation around Aslani recently. Like, you know, everyone wants to see this kid play. Um, given, you know, Dumfries's, uh his performances, like, we did invest in a young right back this summer. Like, I, you know, I am interested. We haven't seen him since. Was it Empoli? We haven't seen him since. Like, it's been a long time. And, I, you know, I want to yeah, see. I think see, it was the Empoli match. Right, which was not a good performance for him. So I want to see where these players are at. The substitutions that we get were D'Ambrosio and Gagliardini, which is, if you look at those two players, one is a veteran who is very comfortable with his role, does not need to be playing in these games, like understands that he's a servant of the club, and the other is a player that's not going to be on this team next year. You had the opportunity to give Aslani and Bellanova, two young players that you made investments in over the summer, some interesting minutes, right? Like, go out and hold this lead, boys. Like, let's see what you have. You're playing in front of your home crowd where if you do something well... They're going to cheer you. It's going to improve your confidence. Like I, Again, I don't want to spend the entire pod, you know, killing the team. But I was puzzled with why we went with the older veteran players to see out the game instead of providing some minutes to guys that we need to know what we have in these players. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's... You know, so we're pretty much, I think in February, I forgot what the first points earned 
Aslani became an obligation. Right. Uh, looks like we're going to, you know, redeem Belanova. Okay, cool. What's to say that these guys want to stick around if they're going to be not even utilized off the bench? You know, uh, it's all right, fine. Galliardini is going to leave on a free, so we're going to be forced to play Aslani. But do you think he just wants to be a player that comes on sparingly and maybe like it's 10, 15 minute cameos here? You know, I'm sure he had aspirations or I'm sure he has aspirations to be a starting player. You know, he wants to maybe feature for his country, although, you know, being uh, about <coughs> being the descent, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to have an issue playing for the country. However, that, I'm sure that'll maybe have an issue, you know, play a factor in how much of a starter he is for the club, for the country. Belanova, we really don't know what we have with him. You see moments of of, of of brilliance, and I mean that by like his pace, where he's able to dribble past the man. He doesn't really have a technical ability to, to really use any type of skill to get past him, but his pace is blistering. We've seen he can cross with both right and left foot, which he's had a much better delivery than we've ever seen from Dumfries. And I'm, again, I'm not just trying to pick on him, but since he seems to be the only guy that's starting over him, it's it's kind of frustrating in that sense. Um, you know, even even Valentin Carboni, you know, we celebrate they celebrated his 18th birthday today. You can't even throw him on, you know, for 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 Jeco at the end there. Like what? Like what? What's why not? What was the reason that you know that he doesn't get put on? I I get bringing on Lukaku for Lautaro, kind of. I guess you really want to make sure that since he is such a key cog in the in the team to be rested for. For the the Champions League or, or other games coming up, but I just don't I don't get the the decision making that he made. Like you said, D'Ambrosio D'Ambrosio knows what he is. He knows he he's you know he comes on maybe in a case of emergency type situation where multiple people are injured and suspended, and I think he's happy being the Ranocchia of the team. So he doesn't really need to come off and and, and play to to feel special. He has he's gotten multiple contract extensions from this club. Like it's very clear that he's fine in that role. You know, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree with you. It's just also in terms of like the um, going into next season, at some point, like, don't you want to know what you have? Like, don't you want to know where you need to make investments, especially given that the midfield and that right wing back position are both question marks right now? Like, yeah, it, it's it was very strange decision making. We did see a Zanotti appearance. Um, came in on the left hand. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> Wasn't expecting um, that. Yeah, was not expecting that at all. Um, I'm not mad at him coming on. And you know what? What I saw. It's funny. Um, you look at again Dumfries dribbling in the open space. He basically slips over himself. Embarrassing. Zanotti was able to dribble in the space, and I was kind of hoping that Jekyll would play it back to him, and we would see a shot on goal. I'm not saying it was going to be you know in, but Imagine if he scored there, how the place would have erupted if Zanotti was able to come on and, and, and score. Yeah. And I, I, ha- I, I, I have a feeling that had he done that, it would have been such a, a predicament for Inzaghi that I don't know what he, how he would have handled the situation. Like, what do you do? Do you, do you cancel your redemption on, on Belanova and then force yourselves to play Zanotti? Like, I, I don't think he wanted that. If it would have happened, I'm saying, that he wouldn't have been happy with that situation. Aslani, I'm, uh, you know, I'm convinced that he must have slept with like people in Zagi's daughter, so Simone's niece, and now that that's why he can't be seen ever again. And, like, I, I, there's no explanation as to why we, we, he never had a bad performance. Not one. You know, like what? He, like, he's, are we, he's done the only mistake that I remember. Show, yeah, yeah. Is is the is the Barca game where he didn't lay off the pass to Mkhitaryan and he tried to shoot himself? Which you know what? I'm glad he did because 
I want that kid to have that kind of confidence where he thinks that I could be him in that moment to score a big goal when needed. Did it go in? Absolutely not. All right, whatever. We ended with a 3-3 draw, which, let's be honest, as Interisti, we did not expect to even get a win at there, let alone come away with three goals and a draw. And we could, we really could have won it ourselves, but it is what it is. I'm happy with we, we moved on, whatever. But that's the only situation that I could think of that Aslani's played in where he, he just you know made a mistake. And, and you're going to tell me this kid can't start over Gagliardini or play over Gagliardini? I, I don't know. Do you believe that that decision-making is like emblematic of the relationship between Inzaghi and the directors? Because you... I mean, I have to assume, like, everyone is on the same page about getting victories, right? But I also have to assume that the directors that are investing in players like Aslani and Bellanova do want to see them, right? They are going to be making the decisions around building the team in the future, and Inzaghi has just refused to give them minutes. Like, do you think that they're, this is, you know, just playing these these players that the the directors have made investments in do you think that this is a point of contention between coach and management it's it's funny you say that because i've i have thought that and i forgot who i was talking about it with but we brought that up and we said that this has to be his reasoning as to why he's not playing these kids like i know i made the joke about you know people's daughter but it's it's realistically got to be that he wanted certain players. He wasn't given the, the the reinforcements that he wanted. Obviously, he we know he wanted Bremer in the summer. He wanted to play with that high back line. He wanted to be able to be a little bit more up the field and have a little more pace with his center backs. He didn't get that. And he basically had to beg for Acherbi. You know, we we know how I, I think that with management, with the way things played out with Correa, where they basically bought him to appease. Inzaghi, and he's been such a colossal flop that they were like, we really know that to be, I, I really think the directors, they, to be sustainable, they know we have to buy young, we have to develop the youth players, and then be able to sell them for a profit, because if you buy these 28, 29, 30-year-old players, you're not going to be able to get whatever you spent on them in, in reselling them, or you're, they're going to leave for free, like we're going to see with DeVry, even though we got him as a free, but whatever. Um, so I think that he is pissed off to an extent and he's like I don't want to play with these guys I'm going to play the way I want drive my 30 year old players into the ground like Mikitarian, like Acherbi like uh, Jekko and if I lose well alright I lost with my players but I didn't play your guys so that even if like you get rid of me they still won't have any idea how to play in the system they won't have any value essentially and the, the next person that's going to be their problem not my problem that's how it's I think Inzaghi's looking at it it's such a strange situation, and I, I am, like, I am tired of this, you know, season after season, year after year, the directors and the coach not seeming to be in lockstep. It's just, it's so strange to watch play out, um, and it's really just, like, I, I hope, I'm curious to see if he gets, if Inzaghi gets asked about it, and I'm really curious to see his answer because on one hand he either has to say these players aren't ready but what is likely to come out of his mouth which is what we've heard over and over again is there's a lot of games we have a big squad all these players are important to me it's just a tactical decision you know and all that but i have to believe that there is a level of reality to the thought that these players could lose confidence like you you are affecting their careers um, and it's not like, you know, fan support is saying 
don't play Aslani, don't play Bellanova, we don't want to see these players. I think everybody is, you know, pretty pretty set in their way that we're, we want to know what As- I'm very intrigued by Aslani. Very, very intrigued by this player. Um, and I think he could be a real, real good player. I think we do have a potential gem just sitting on the bench. And, man, Johnny, my frustration with Inzaghi seems to grow episode after episode that we record this. You know, like I, I feel like I've been a supporter of his, but... Um, I don't know. I I just I just question a lot of the decision making. It's it's um strange. Um you know, and guess what? If his team had performed better today, had looked a little bit more fluid, had given us more to talk about about their on-pitch performance, we wouldn't ask these questions. But that's not what's happening right now. Um you know, so it, that ultimately falls on him. Yeah, it's definitely becoming a point of contention with me too where i just don't understand what it is that he's hoping to get what it is that he's saying to these players what it is that he's not seeing or he is seeing that's kind of convincing him to start one over the other you know with aslani i see a player that can play you know he inzaki said that he saw them as a vice brozo okay cool well brozo goes down hakan exceeds in that situ- that position so now he's like almost like a vice vice brozo why not just have him play as a vice mkhitaryan as a mezzala you know, Empoli was willing to play him in multiple positions. Well, but Inter, you can't. You're not good at like you're good enough to play for a, a lower level team, right? That you know really is fighting to maintain their place in the league. But you're gonna tell me this kid cannot afford to do anything for our club to help us on the pitch? That you would rather play someone with like Roberto Gagliardini, who hasn't done anything for Inter of any meaningfulness since what yeah. 2017, maybe his first so, five games. Yeah, like I just don't get what Aslani has to do to, to earn that trust. And we saw when Empoli took a 2-0 lead on us, who was one of the players that scored? Christian Aslani. That was his from first goal an advanced, ever. From an advanced midfield position, not from and, shielding yeah. the defense. And he was able to to basically, I mean, outplay um, Stefan De Vrij, who I mean, we know he had a down year. And although, in my opinion, yes, it was a little bit of a weak goal because, I mean, Handanovic is a bum and he probably should have, you know, done better there. But he still ended up scoring and he helped him put he helped put his team up 2-0. I thought that was it. We're not going to win the game. There goes the Scudetto. I mean, eventually we did lose it anyway, but I thought that that was it. And then, you know, fortunately we were able to, to come back and, and make things happen, but... The kids show that he can hang with the likes of Chalanoglu, Barella, Brozovic. He was an impactful player for that team in that game. Regardless of the, of the result, the guy showed that he has the ability to play. And after that game is when we started hearing the rumors. And I was like, yeah, I'm all in on Aslani. Like, well, let's get this kid. I think he could be a player for the future. And I yeah. thought that future would be coming in now where he would be the first man off the bench, regardless of Mkhitaryan even coming in, where, you know, I just don't get I don't get how you don't have this player. Like, yeah. playing meaningful minutes. Like, I, I, my dream going into the summer, before obviously this player, other player I'm going to mention was sold, was Aslani, Casadei, and then whoever you wanted to be the, the, the sixth guy off the bench. Whether it was Gagliardini, whatever. Like, that's what I thought would be our midfield six going into the season. Sure, all right, it worked out. We got Mkhitaryan, and he's been exceeding in what I thought he'd be doing for the club. So, and I, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But I also look at the fact that, like, okay, Roma wanted to keep him. We got him. What did Roma do with that money that they saved? They basically used it to get Dybala. 
imagine had it gone the other way around for us. Like we, like he decided to stay with Roma, and then we took whatever we, you know. I, I understand we needed a midfielder, but if we would have been able to get DiBala instead, who knows how the season could have played out as well. I mean, that's like again, yeah, we're just playing a, a lot of what ifs in that in that point. But it is yeah. what it is, and uh, I I want this kid to finally get some minutes, and I don't know what it's gonna take. Yeah, um, you know, luckily we are heading into our next fixture before the Champions League is is against Spezia, which again another we're talking mid to low table team. So, um, you know, and it's away from home. There's a potential opportunity with wanting to to keep some legs fresh for Porto that we may see some of these guys against Spezia. So, you know, we'll see. It's not likely, but again, there is an opportunity there coming up. All right, so we've done 45 minutes or so on this. You know, it's almost more a state of Inter um, because there wasn't a ton to talk about in today's game. We did score two beautiful team goals. Very happy about it. I guess the last word on the game um, or, you know, post-game, I guess, is the situation that we're in in terms of the standing. So right now, Inter sits... On 50 points and alone in second place, 15 points behind Napoli with a two-point lead over Lazio, three away from Milan in fourth, um, and then you have Roma sitting in fifth at, at on 44 points. After today's game, um, which you know uh, a must-win against uh, a lower-table team, how are you feeling about our chances at top four? I I've said it before, like I always felt like this was one of if not the best team in Italy <clears throat> not overly worried about the top four finish but just given the gap is only three points to fourth place how are you feeling with um you know where we are in the standings today I mean yeah I'm honestly not worried I feel like we're hitting our stride and even though Lazio and Milan are also hitting theirs and, and they're performing performing well as of late I'm, I don't I don't see it being an issue for us um and it's going to be even more interesting once Napoli gets their 15-point deduction and we're all tied and then, you know, we could really make it a, um, a title race here. And I w- but mostly I want to see that happen just to see Napoli Twitter implode. But, yeah, and that's probably uh, – obviously it's not they realistic. Are... And I don't, I don't want to win it because of that either. Like, I, don't, I, that's, I mean, as much as I say I'll be happy with it, but, I mean, unless something really egregious took place that they have to deduct 15 points. But, yeah. Top top four, I don't think is an issue. I'm not. I, I even before the season started, I thought that this team was the best on paper, even yeah. with you know the players that we brought in that were limited, even with missing on Bremer and DiBala. You know, I, I was convinced that this was a, a team that could be true title challengers. Um, I did say in the beginning of the year before the season started that the to me the title would be decided as. as like really as to how soon Inzaghi decided to make the switch from Handanovic to Onana. And in my honest opinion, had he been the starter from the beginning of the season, I think we would be seven, maybe eight points higher in the table. Yeah, you know, the, some reasonable. goals early on that Handanovic gave up. I don't think Onana gives up. Um, and I think that, you know, like, I mean, it bothers me that he felt like he had to respect Handanovic as a captain. I'm sorry. I, I, you have to respect first your club, the players in the locker room, and I'm sure when they were looking around the locker room that they knew right away from seeing him in practice, seeing his reflexes, seeing his ball-playing ability, that the better goalkeeper, without a question, was Andre Onana. Yeah, and you know, the team has gotta, to feel that. The directors have to see that. 
we got all excited because of a basic double save that he made against Zurich in the in the the friendlies leading up to the season. Like we hadn't seen a player be able to react or block a shot directly at him. So why yeah. is it that we now, you know, waited seven, eight games before making the change? And then to have the balls to throw him in his first game is against Bayern Munich at home where, ha I mean, he made, what, 10 saves that game? It Imagine if he made only five saves and we lost 7-0. He would have yeah. been crucified. They would have, and and you, honestly, most goalkeepers, if I'm not mistaken, you know, save percentages are like only like a 68 at best. So let's say he saved seven out of them, and we still lost five nil. You know, like what 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 would it have done for his psyche? Would that have stunted him? Would that have made him want to go running? Would that have made him you know make more errors or something? Yeah. Especially after not having played for a year and a half, it's it's infuriating that you waited that long, and you essentially pro you know allowed Napoli to build this league. Which hats off to them. Congrats, you know you, they have been the cream of the crop so far this season. But it's like you, you, I feel like a lot of these losses that we had are self-inflicted wounds. It's not because we truly got outplayed. It's because our manager is incapable of recognizing when he has to make subs to be proactive. When he has to make the tough decisions, whether it's like benching a player who's not performing well, making a change to a you know a goalkeeper, he is not able to handle the pressures and the rigor of, of really managing Inter. In my opinion, he's a great cut manager. I think probably one of the best. I don't. I, that's why I feel like he would be much better suited to manage the Italian national team than he would be managing yeah, our club. That's a great because idea. he's shown he can't really handle the rigors of a 38 game season and being able to balance, you know, performing in the Coppa Italia, performing in the Champions League, performing in the league, if you can't get him amped up for every single situation, and that's really been a knock on Conte as well, is that he could only really focus on one tournament thing at throughout, a time. you know, at a time that he, and it seems to be that Inzaghi could only focus on cup ties at a, over a season. So yeah. I would much rather, to me, it's more meaningful to be successful in the league than it really is in the Champions League because you know what even if we make the semifinals no one's going to remember that we made the semifinals in five years no one's going to care hey remember that run we had to the semis yeah no one's going to care because at the end of the day that you're not the one lifting the trophy semifinal yeah, team like, yeah yeah so this is going to make for a very interesting you know whether he is confirmed as our manager for next season or whether we move on um I, you know, I definitely think that we should sort of do a inter tenure review and and look at the big decisions that he took, um, and I think that we'll likely find some things to to debate on. So that is Inter Lecce post match. Um, before we head out today, guys, we're going to do a little bit of a Q and A. Um, I think we got we have one or two questions to. I know we got one. We got um, one. Okay. Yeah. So we can go ahead and touch on that one. Um, as always, you guys can send in your questions at the end of uh, every match, and we will get to it on the podcast. But why don't we finish up with uh, our question here? I'll kick it over to you, Johnny. So, so Victor Strandberg uh, asks, how should Inter replace Skriniar in the summer, considering Inzaghi rather, rather plays Darmian than anyone else at his position? Um, okay. You want to go first? Yeah, I think it's relatively, like, you know, especially the um, Darmian point, he doesn't have anyone anyone else to play in that position, right? Unless you want to start uh, D'Ambrosio, who we spoke about as sort of a break glass in case of emergency type player, not really the guy that you want to be at right center back. I don't really have problems with um, 
with uh, Darmian playing in that position in Skriniar's absence because he's actually played fairly well. Um, in terms of who should Inter replace Skriniar in the summer, this you know sort of dovetails back to the conversation that we had earlier where this club should be going. There's really two options that we can afford to do. One, free transfers. Two, investments in young players that have resale value. I personally... I'm ready for this team to get a little bit younger and ready for this team to get a little bit more athletic. So the two guys that are that fit one or you know both of those molds, one being a young investment in Tiago Jallo from Lille, um, you know, really athletic right center back uh, from Lille, Portuguese youngster. I think he's 22 or 23 years old. Um, and you know, at some point in time, we'll do a breakdown on these targets. The other would be Evan Indica. This is a free agent. Um, he is young enough. I believe he's 25 or 26. You can correct me on that, but he's young enough where there is potential for resale value. So because of those two reasons, they are top of my list. Um, the reason why I don't say a guy like Pavard, who has a lot of Champions League experience is he's going to be costly in terms of the wages. And also he's, I don't know what the resale value on him is going to be. Um, you know, he doesn't seem like the type of profile that a big club uh, is going to want to spend a lot of money on. They'd rather do it on guys like Benoit Badiashil, um and other, you know, Lisandro Martinez, other younger center backs. So, yeah, Evan Indica and Tiago Jallo, top of the list for me for a screen yard replacement this summer. So the only thing that worries me about Evan Indica. Um, well, replacing Skriniar specifically. If he's playing center center back, I'm okay with it because he's left-footed. But he, I don't think I could see him on the right side of the fence just because he's left-footed. Um, for me, and this would have to be really creative on Inter's part on how they would do this, um, but I truly believe that there's there's really three players that, that, well, one I don't really like, but he is kind of rumored to be an Inter target. And then there's two other guys that I like. Obviously, Giorgio Scalvini is is the number one player. I know they value him, Atalanta, at 40 million euros. Um, to me, if we throw in a guy like Giovanni Fabian, who is someone that they are rumored to be interested in, that brings down the cost, let's say, to 30 million. And then you can do maybe like a two-year loan, since he is a teenager. So you could still do it for two years. You pay half of it up front, the 15 million. And then you pay the rest you know, at the end of the loan, which I think would be the smart way to go about it. Um, another guy who I think would be good as well and probably could be had for, for a cheap price could be Maxence Lacroix, in my opinion, at uh, Wolfsburg. He is seems to be out of favor. He has had some poor um, performances lately with Wolfsburg. You know, he's been subbed off um, early. I remember most recently, I forgot who it was, but, you know, um, Wolfsburg, I think it was against Bayern Munich, actually went down, if I'm not mistaken, like 3-0 by like the 25th minute. And they took off LaCroix, um, which if you watch that game back, none of the goals were really at his fault. But I think that they were just trying to shake up the group on the pitch. And he was, you know, you know, visibly upset. Um, He is a right footed center back. He's got tremendous pace. He is strong in the air. Um, He's got a little bit of Demerol in his game, which mean what I mean by that is he's a little bit too aggressive at times, can go in a little carelessly, which I think with the right coaching, possibly could be you know honed in and and utilize his his pace to the best of its abilities which could be like pushing the tempo forward maybe bringing the ball out from the back um you know from what i've seen of him he is a decent passer i don't know if he really has a long ball in his game like uh, like a bastoni but he will be able to 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 get you know to to complete passes and, and be successful in that regard 
Um, but, you know, there are some things that could be a little bit of worrying, which I, I'm sure there are going to be Interisti who listen to this and they'll be like, is he crazy? This, there's no way I would want LaCroix at the club. But he's 22 years old. You know, there can be a player there. You know, most guys don't hit their prime till they're 27, 28, really. So it's like, why not take a chance on a guy who may be out of favor at his club? You could probably get him, you know, for maybe like 15, 20 million at most. Um, I think it's worth the risk. And then the the third guy that I could think of is is Demerol, who I'm not his biggest fan, which is kind of funny because I do like Lacroix for his aggressiveness, but I think it's because he also brings pace and and ball playing ability, which you don't get with Demerol. Um, and if I'm gonna be spending money from somebody at Atalanta, I think it should be Scalvini as opposed to Demerol. I don't see the point in spending 25, 30 million, which is rumored to be what they expect for him, when you can pen, spend an extra 10 million on on the on Scalvini. So. Yeah, I love those picks. Um, Scalvini is a player that, you know, I always thought would be a great option for us, but likely like out of the price range. But it is interesting if we're able to sort of do um, a player, you know, swap and get some. There's there's other youth at the club that um, could be attractive to Atalanta. So I completely agree with Scalvini. LaCroix is not a player that was on my radar, but that's a Johnny Scouting special. Um, and there's several of those, and you guys should check those out because the guys, the man has an eye for talent. He's the opposite of Huyan. Um, and yeah, Demi Rall, uh, <laughs> Demi Rall seems like he would be super fired up at San Siro, but um, you know, there there are reasons why he was sold by Juventus and hasn't really been able to to be super consistent at Atalanta. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, if the Inter directors are listening, they have plenty of options to uh, make some phone calls and, and figure some stuff out. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And there's so many. I mean, there's even players that I'm sure we're not even thinking of that they may be looking at. You know, um, actually, I know they're looking at this kid from from Underlecht, uh, Zeno the Best, which I think that name is. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I mean, I know how it looks like it says the best, but if that is his name and that's how you say it. I mean, for a 19-year-old, from what little I've seen of him, it, he seems like an interesting prospect. And how cool would it be to have a guy who you could just be like, yo, he's the best. You know, yeah. Just, I feel like that would just market itself. Now let's we get a coach copyright, that will, We should copyright we'll T-shirts him. right away before that. <laughs> if he does come, we should Send him to JR. Have him, have yep, him made up. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um that was a fun pod. It was a it was a, a victory. It was a good victory. Again, not the most exciting day ever for Idaristi, but um, a lot of things, a lot of good things to talk about. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Uh, and in the words of the great Roberto Scarpini, get it right this time. Forza ragazzi, forza ragazzi, forza ragazzi. We'll see you soon.